Hey, it's Jordan Johnson, and you are listening to The Grove Podcast. Today, we are going back into the Grove archives to give you an incredible message from our dear friend, Lisa Turkhurst, that she brought at a Grove gathering in May of 2016. She unpacks a lot of her early life story and how God proved himself good in every season. This is a timeless message that we trust will encourage your spirit today. So here's Lisa Turkhurst live at the Grove. Well, hey guys, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. What an honor, what a joy. And uh, this has been, you know, I was with you last year about this time and uh, it was so fun. And then a lot happened in my family. And so I had to bring pictures because last year, three of my kids got engaged. I know, let me let that sit on you. So when your kids get engaged, that means you have to plan weddings, have mercy on my soul. And y'all, Pinterest, it is like making things out of control, for real. Uh, But I brought a couple of pictures, so let's show you. Oh, this is Hope and Michael. Now, Hope is five foot two, Michael is six foot five. So he is gonna introduce some height into our genetic pool and we're excited about that. Okay, and then we have um, Ashley. And uh, now, here's the deal with Ashley, y'all for real. (laughs) This girl was either gonna wind up in prison or the pulpit. And um, it really totally could have gone either way. I am so happy to tell you that she married a pastor. So she's going in the direction I know, right? Okay, and then the next one I think is my, oh, this is my husband. And this is us celebrating getting two of our girls off our payroll. Yes, very happy about that. And then I think we have one more of the entire family. If you start over, let's see to your left. Uh, So that's Mark and his wife, Teresa, and the cutest thing that has ever walked the face of this earth, little Selena Hope. And then David and Ashley, my husband, myself, um, Michael, who you can see, the... He's so amazing. And then um, Hope, and then Brooke, our 17-year-old who is not even allowed to date ever. And, uh, and then our son, Jackson, with his fiance, they're getting married in October. And those are my people. So there you have it. So I thought tonight, if it's okay with you, instead of um, a big message, I thought maybe we would just have a conversation because um, I wanted to share with you a little about my life story. It's so easy sometimes to look at family pictures and make assumptions about how someone's life has been. But I wanna share my story so that you can really understand the dynamics of how good God is, really how tremendous God is, and that we must be courageous enough to let God write our story. And I'm telling you, I would never have written my story the way that that it turned out, but I am so grateful. You know, there's sometimes, have you ever heard that song, It Is Well With My Soul? And, And there are some seasons where it's like, it really is well with our soul. And so we lift up our hands and we thank God. But then there are also those times where we'll say it is well with our soul but it is not right with our life. 
and our circumstances aren't lining up and we just feel so devastated by some of the realities that have marched into our story. And so I guess if any of you are in a place of heartbreak, I pray that our conversation tonight blesses you. I've been through three distinct seasons in my life with God. I've been through a season where I was thankful that there was a God, but equally suspicious that he was really good. And and I had to travel through this place that I got to where I really understood, God, I need you. And then I had to go through a very distinct time where I knew I needed God and I accepted him, but I wasn't really sure I could trust him. And so the second phase of my journey with the Lord was finally getting to that place, God, I trust you. But then there's this third place, and I feel like I've just stepped into it in the past several years, where I really had to surrender everything that I thought would be so that I could step into the place with Jesus where I could really say, Not only are you everything that I trust, not only are you everything that I need, but you are also everything that I want. And so this is my story of that journey. I remember the Lord got me to the place where I finally understood that I needed God, but then he really wanted me to also, in this first phase of my journey with him, understand that I needed to share my need of Jesus with other people. I was very skeptical of that because I really felt like it was much safer to share the areas of my life where I felt perfect so that I could inspire other people with my perfection. Now, I only had a little bit to share because I just didn't have a whole lot of perfect in my life. But I think what the Lord really taught me is that perfection isn't inspiring, it's intimidating. And, and really, very few people can identify with our successes, but everyone can identify with our failures and our brokenness and our hurts and our desperate needs. So one day I got on this airplane and the plane was really, really packed. I mean, there were people everywhere, but I was really tired. I'd been working all weekend. And so I prayed a very selfish prayer. And I said, God, if I could be the only one on my row, that would be such a blessing. Um, And so if you could just work that out, that would be amazing. And so I got on this plane and there were, like I said, seats were just filled everywhere. But as I got on Onto my row, I was the only one there. And inside my heart, I was just doing the praise in Jesus dance, like, go God, you know? And I lifted up the armrest and I was gonna sit in the middle seat and then just stretch out and take a nap when right before they closed the plane doors, they let two last people on the airplane and they made their way right to my row. I was a little grumpy, so I I got up and I'm thinking, God, didn't you see my praise in Jesus dance? I mean, for real. So it was an Indian woman and a businessman, and I was seated in between them. I decided I wouldn't take a nap. Instead, I reached in my bag and pulled out a book I'd been writing called Leading Women to the Heart of God. The plane took off, and a few minutes into the flight, the businessman seated beside me leaned over and said, oh, I see the word God on your paper there. That's an interesting topic. I looked at him and I said, yes, I, I, I think God's really interesting. What do you know about God? 
And he fumbled with his answer, letting me know he knew facts about God. But I quickly discerned he did not have a relationship with God. And and then after he fumbled with his answer a little bit, he looked at me and he said, well, what do you know about God? And I knew in that moment he was not looking for a theological discourse of any kind. You see, I don't really think people care to meet our Jesus until they meet the reality of what Jesus has done in our life. And so God started to stir my heart, share your story with this man. And so this is what I shared with that man on the plane that day. I told him that my earliest memory was being a little girl about eight years old and we didn't have a lot of money. So my mom hardly ever got us store-bought clothes. But one year, just before Easter, she went out and bought my sister and I both store-bought dresses. I remember standing in my closet, looking up at this beautiful dress and thinking maybe, maybe if I put it on, my daddy would notice me. And so I took the dress down, I put it on, I went in the bathroom, I fixed my hair the very best that a little eight-year-old girl can fix her hair. And then I went out and I stood beside my daddy's chair in the den. He had a beer in one hand and a TV remote in the other. And as I stood there, he didn't even look my way. So I did what any little girl would do with a pretty dress on. And I started to twirl around and around and around. And as my dress flowed out, my heart cried out, Daddy, do you notice me? Daddy, am I beautiful? Daddy, do you love me? And my dad never could give me those words of affirmation. As a matter of fact, he would often say to me, you know, Lisa, I never wanted children, especially not a girl. And I took all that hurt and all that pain, all that shame, I stuffed it down in my heart. I put a big smile on my face to make everyone think that I was okay, but inside my heart, I was dying. A few years after that, my parents decided that they could no longer be married, and so my dad left. And when he left us physically, he also left us financially. So my mom took on a second job to try to make ends meet. And by the time the summer came that year, my mom was having to take on a third job and she just honestly could not afford for us to live at home that summer. So my sister was sent a few hours away to live with some relatives there. And I was sent several states away to live with a grandmother. And the summer started out great, but about halfway through the summer, my grandmother got very, very sick. And whenever she would go to the doctor, she would leave me in the care of a friend who lived down the street from her. What she didn't know is that this man had terrible problems. And every time she dropped me off at his house and she pulled out of the driveway, he would shut the door and he would turn around and look at me and he would say, if you ever tell anyone, I will make sure your mother dies. So I took all of that hurt and all of that pain all of that shame and I just stuffed it down in my heart and I put a big smile on my face to make everyone think that I was okay but inside I was dying well a few years after that my mom met and married an amazing man who to this day is a great father figure to me and they decided they were going to have more children so the day of my 15th birthday party mom went into labor with baby girl number three and then the day of my senior prom mom went into labor with baby girl number four now when my date came to pick me up that night i said you know before we go to dinner and to the dance we have to stop by the maternity ward to visit my mother 
That is a great pre-prom activity, actually. <laughs> I'll never forget the first time I saw my baby sister, Haley. I loved all of my sisters, but there was just something, something so special about her. She had this wild black hair and these big blue eyes. That whole summer, I toted her around as if she were my baby. And then the fall came and it was time for me to go off to college. So I packed my car, I kissed and hugged everyone in my family. I lingered a little longer over Haley. And then I drove eight hours to Furman University. And as I was driving to college, I had this notion that I really, really did not wanna be the broken girl from the broken home, from with the broken down story. I wanted to be something brand new. And because I didn't know how to let Jesus touch the broken places of my heart, I rationalized that I must fix the outside if I'm gonna have a shot at being a new kind of person. So I'd seen this very inappropriate movie called Grease. And, um, <laughs> and all Sandy needed was a pair of tight black pants and a big hairdo. And so I just knew that would change everything about my life. So that's exactly what I did. I got some tight black pants and a big hairdo and college started out great. But if you just fix up the outside and you never let Jesus attend to the inside, eventually you're gonna hit a pothole in the road of life and all that hurts you so deep within is gonna come spilling back on top of you. And that's exactly what happened the night that my mom called and said, Lisa, please get in your car and drive home right away. Haley is very, very sick. So I got in my car, I drove eight hours home. By the time I got to my hometown and got to the hospital, Haley was in the intensive care unit. She had been given some medication in too high of a dose and it destroyed her liver. And the doctors were telling my parents she would not survive without a liver transplant. So they got us up to the children's hospital in Pittsburgh where Haley was very fortunate. She received a liver. She made it through the transplant surgery. She seemed to be healing. And so my parents came to me and said, Lisa, it's time to go back to school. I'll never forget that last night I went and I sat next to Haley's hospital bed. I kissed every part of her face. I leaned in and breathed really deeply to try to capture a little bit of her to carry with me. And then the very best I knew how, I said a prayer over her. Now you see, at that time, I knew God as a religion. Like God to me was a set of rules. And if I followed the rules, then God should bless me. I very much looked at God almost like a vending machine. Like if I do what's required, then you have to give me what I ask for. And so when I prayed over Haley that night, I tried to make a deal with God because I did not understand that we're not really ever destined for a religion. We're really destined to have a relationship. And a relationship is so different than a religion. A relationship is when you look at the reality of your circumstances through already understanding that God is good 
and God is good to me, and God is good at being God. He loves me and I love him. So I'm gonna look through that lens of love and determine that my circumstances are gonna be okay, even if they don't feel okay right now, because God loves me and he can take anything and eventually work good from it. I didn't have a relationship, a love relationship with God at that time. I didn't have that at all. I had a religion. So I made a deal with God. I kissed Haley and I went back to college. Every day I would call my mom. Every day I would ask her the same question, mom, how is Haley doing? And every day she would say the same thing to me. Lisa, she's getting better and better, stronger every day. But after two weeks of those reassuring phone calls, one morning I called my mom and I asked her, mom, how is Haley doing? And there was just silence on the other end of the line. So I asked her a second time and a third time and by the fourth time I was screaming into the phone, desperate to hear that Haley was okay. And in a voice so slight, it was barely a whisper, my mom said back to me, Lisa, Haley is finally all better, sweetie. She went to be with Jesus this morning. Something in me just snapped. I shook my fist at God and I said, I will never love you. I will never serve you. I do not even believe that you exist. And I turned my back on God and headed straight into the world determined that I would find love and happiness and significance and I didn't need God for all of that. And do you know what I found in the world? Temporary moments of happiness, temporary moments of significance and temporary moments of love. But everything the world has to offer is so very temporary because I also found out I was pregnant. I was terrified. I was alone. I couldn't take this news home to my mom. She was in bed. She couldn't even get out of bed. She was so overwhelmed, grieving over Haley. And so I made the awful choice to go to an abortion clinic and ask them to please help me. They gave me a pregnancy test and came back and said, well, the test is positive, but you really shouldn't consider yourself pregnant. It's just cells dividing and we can take care of this problem quick and easy and you'll never think about it again. I bought their awful lie and I can tell you when they took my baby it was as if they took part of my heart as well. I went home after that and I, I laid on the couch in my little apartment and I cried out to this God that I didn't even think really existed and I said if you are God then have mercy on me and let me die because the pain is too overwhelming. Now I had at that time in my life, this girl that I not so affectionately called my Bible friend. Honestly, she got on my nerves so bad <laughs> because she was all the time giving me Bible verses. Like if I had a headache, she had a verse for that. <laughs> If I broke up with a boyfriend, she had a whole list of verses. 
and a prayer. I mean, I was like, what in the world? Now, if your Bible friend brought you here tonight, don't poke her. Like she knows. <laughs> she knows who she is, right? She's got it. <laughs> now, this girl had no idea what I was going through in my life. No idea. But God knew. And God put on her heart one day to send me a card. And so out of obedience to God, she put the card in the mail. And the day I received it was one of my darkest days because I had done the math and I knew it was about the time where my baby would have been due. I went to the mailbox that day. I pulled out all the mail. I went into my apartment. I collapsed on the couch. I tossed the mail on the coffee table. And in between the bills and the sales flyers, I saw a card, so I pulled it out. I flipped open the envelope's back flap. And when I pulled the card up, I knew exactly who it was from because on the very front, there was, of course, a Bible verse. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I didn't know all the depth of the theological realities of that verse. But as I read that verse, something deep inside of me quickened. I felt life when I'd only felt death for so long. And as I kept reading the verse, it was as if God inserted my name right there in the verse, as if God himself had paused in the midst of all of his eternity to speak just to me, Lisa, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, Lisa. And I did not know what to do to respond to that verse. And I was too scared to call my Bible friend because then she would have ammunition forever if this thing didn't <laughs> stick, you know? And so I just knelt down beside my couch and I lifted up my hand and I just said, yes. Yes, God. Yes, I, I need you. And God took me on such an amazing journey from that one simple, yes, I need you, to where he surrounded me with Christians who knew God and who loved God. And, and I got into God's word and I let God's word get into me and he took me on a journey of really understanding how God could truly meet those deep, desperate needs that nothing else in this world ever could. That's what I shared with this man on the airplane that day. I'm sure people all around us were like, would somebody make the Jesus freak shut up? Seriously, <laughs> too much information, right? But this man, he had tears in his eyes and then he started asking me about Bible verses. So I reached in my bag and I pulled out my Bible and I was praying that prayer like, Lord Jesus, help me. Like, what if he asked me something I don't know? <laughs> But it's so amazing. It's like, no matter what he asked, I would just say, well, let me just read you this verse. And it's just like somehow God worked it all out. He packed up his things. We exchanged business cards and he was getting off the plane and I pulled out my bag and packed it up and I was about to exit the row when all of a sudden I felt a tug on my arm. I turned around and it was the Indian woman. She'd been staring out the window the whole time. I totally thought she was ignoring us, but when she turned her tear-streaked face toward me. 
she whispered, thank you. What you shared with this man today, it's really changed me, thank you. As I got off the plane that day, I knew two hearts had been changed with the love of God, but my heart had also been changed because I thought, God, how many times have I been too busy or too distracted or too unwilling that I missed this? God, I want more of this. I don't just want you to be everything I need, God, now. I want you to be everything that I trust. God, I want to trust you. I want to trust you in bigger ways. But now there's this third place. This place where honestly, I got to when about the time where I had no longer just five kids, but five teenagers. Y'all, that will seriously rock a woman's world like nobody's business. And so I found myself saying, yeah, 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 God, like I totally need you and I trust you, but, but we've been doing this thing for a long time. So Lord, here are all of my people. And I know you're busy with like lots of world events today. I mean, you've got a lot on your plate. And so God, here's the deal. Like, like I sort of have figured out what's best for everyone that I love. And so here, here's my plan. And God, if you could just bless this. Now don't mess with it. Just bless it. Okay. (laughs) But you see, teenagers don't really fit into the control of their mother's desires. You know what I'm saying? Like they're going to do what they're going to do. And so partly it was God and partly it was just the reality of life. But finally I had to get to this place where I was like, God, I know I need to be courageous enough to let you write my story, but even harder, I need, ah, God, I need to be courageous enough to let you write their story. And I opened up my arms and surrendered my will. And it was about that time where I I made my first trip to the Holy Land. Now, Next Sunday, I leave for my seventh trip to the Holy Land in less than two years. So I, I like to call this phase of my life my midlife crisis. And um, so, I, but I guess if you can, do, you know, really, I guess, get a new obsession during your midlife crisis, the Holy Land's not a bad one to have, okay? In my defense. But I remember the first time I went and, and I was trying, oh Lord, I desperately, I, I, I want to want what you want, not just what I feel is best. And we went to this place that is called the Garden of Gethsemane. And we find it in scripture in Mark chapter 14. And it's one of Jesus's last moments on earth. His time is coming to an end. And in Mark chapter 14, verse 32, it says this, they, Jesus and his disciples, went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul, Jesus said, is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, this hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said. God, everything is possible for you. Take this cup 
from me. Jesus, fully God, but fully man. He knew what was marching into his life. And so he cries out to God, God, everything is possible for you. You can fix this. You can change this. You can rewrite the story. I don't want this to be part of my life. And honestly, of everything that Jesus uttered on earth, my God, I, I resonate with this so much. Because have you ever been there where you cry out to God, God, don't let this be part of my story. And then Jesus shows us in that moment the most amazing thing to say if we want to get to this third place with God. God, you're everything I want. Because Jesus then utters nine earth-shaking, demon-quaking, hell-shattering words when he says, yet, not what I will, but what you will. Oh God. Might I be brave enough to add that to the prayers that I pray at night? All my suggestions to God, all my carefully constructed plans, all the ways that I think life should be or could be, if only, if that. Might I dare to utter, God, yet, not what I will, but what you will. And as I sat there in that garden that night, I looked and I saw that we were sitting in the shade and the shadow of the olive tree. And it occurred to me, because I had read John chapter one before, that Jesus was there at creation. So when he taught lessons and a bird would fly by, it wasn't that Jesus was just lucky that a bird flew by. No, he made that bird at creation so that one day when he told that story, he could cue his bird to fly over, right? And so what did Jesus make? What did Jesus make to be the setting of his hardest moments on earth? He made the olive tree. I think we have a picture of that. This, this is the garden of Gethsemane. This is an olive tree. And Jesus sat there. And you know what's so amazing to me? Is that the olive tree teaches us three very profound lessons. And I didn't know it until I studied right there in the shade and the shadow of that olive tree. The first truth about an olive tree is that in order for it to be fruitful, it must have the harsh winds of the east and the refreshing winds of the west. The harsh winds of the east can wither a field of grass in one day. It's brutally hot. It blows up from the desert. The harsh winds of the east are what cause such destruction in Job's life. Yes, the olive tree, it must have those harsh winds of the east, but it must also have the refreshing winds of the west, hard times and good times. And that's the only way it can be fruitful. And we are much the same. The second truth that I learned from the olive tree is that if when the olive tree produces that fruit, if you were to go and pluck an olive straight from the tree and pop it in your mouth, you would immediately spit it out and it would make you violently sick because the olive naturally straight from the tree 
is very hard and very bitter. It has to go through a process to get rid of its hardness and its bitterness. It must be cracked open slightly. It must be salted and it must be soaked in the water. Salted, soaked in the water, salted, soaked in the water. It is quite a process to get rid of hardness and bitterness and we are much the same. And the third truth that we learn from the olive tree is in order to get what is most valuable from that olive, it must be pressed almost beyond recognition, crushed and not yet not crushed to the point of being destroyed because what comes from that deep pressing time, the hardest pressing of our life, from that the olive releases oil and suddenly that Olive, who was so ordinary, when that deep pressing happens and the oil emerges, it's no longer an ordinary olive. For now, this oil can be used for the most sacred of purposes, and the oil can be turned into light. And we are much the same. Those hard, possibly crushing moments of our life, from that, God will help produce from us oil so that we can be light to this dark and dying world. Three truths from that olive tree. And you know what's so amazing is that yes, Jesus did surrender his will. He suffered in that garden. He suffered the next day and then he died and then he was buried and then he rose again. But that's not even the end of the story. You see, one day he will come back just above where that olive grove is, just above the Garden of Gethsemane. You see, the Garden of Gethsemane sits at the base of the Mount of Olives. And what the Bible tells us in Zechariah chapter 14, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. On the day that Jesus returns, east of Jerusalem, and on the Mount of Olives, it will be split in two, east to west, forming a great valley, with half the mountain moving north and half moving south. And on that day, water will flow out of Jerusalem, half of it to the east Dead Sea, and half of it to the west Mediterranean Sea, in the summer and in the winter. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day, there will be one Lord, and his name the only name. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more death because Jesus Christ is coming again. And on that day, our knees will bow and our tongues will confess. And this is my greatest desire for you, for me, for my children. That on that day, we will look at Jesus and say, Jesus, you are everything that I need. And Jesus, you are everything that I trust. I put my full trust in you. And Jesus, you really are also everything that I want and more. That's what I pray on that day that we will be able to utter to our sweet Jesus. Well, we love Lisa and her family, and we believe you'll want to hear more from her. So be sure to check out her latest book, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. For anyone dealing with disappointments and devastations in relationships and circumstances, as well as her book, Uninvited, for those dealing with feeling left out, lonely, and less than. You can find them from your favorite bookseller. 
And as always, make sure you're tracking along with all the latest Grove happenings on Instagram at PCC underscore the Grove. And we'll catch you next time on the Grove podcast.